I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. While much of the attention of the Duchenne muscular dystrophy community has been focused on the recent FDA Advisory Committee review of Sarepta Therapeutics experimental drug Ateplerson, Marathon Pharmaceuticals has been working to advance its own DMD drug candidate to the FDA. The company expects to file an application with the agency for approval to market the Flazacort, a corticoid steroid. We spoke to Tim Knuff, head of research and development for Marathon Pharmaceuticals, about why the company thinks the Flazacort represents an improvement over existing therapies, what the company has learned from Sarepta's experience, and its new effort to develop a precision medicine program in Duchenne. Tim, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure, Dan. We're going to talk about Marathon Pharmaceuticals and its effort to bring a new therapy to market to treat Duchenne muscular dystrophy, a a disease that's been on the mind of the rare disease community with a high-profile review at the FDA. But let's start with Duchenne itself. What is it? How many people does it affect? What's the prognosis for people with the disease? And what are the treatment options today? So uh, Duchenne is a uh, a genetic disorder. It's a very... Uh, it's a rare disease, but it's the most common muscular dystrophy. It, it affects about 1 in 3,500 live male births in this country. Uh, so there's about 15,000 uh, boys uh, in the U.S. right now that have the disease. Uh, and it's, a, it's an X-linked disorder. Uh, so, uh, so women are primarily the characters, and the boys uh, primarily uh, carry and express the disorder. Although there are girls that have disease and we do have we have an expanded access program right now where we treat patients with the flazacort until the NDA is approved and we do have one girl in our program right now uh, so girls can express it as well uh, but it is a it is a devastating disease uh, uh, patients usually lose the ability to ambulate about 12 years of age and uh, and then uh, there's typically pulmonary deficits and cardiac events and uh, patients usually um, die, you know, in their mid-20s. Um, there are sort of advances that have been, you know, corticosteroid used through physical therapy, and patients are now living, you know, the late 20s, early 30s. Uh, uh, typically, it is, it is a deadly disease. And, and that's why it's been really the focus of so much uh, research and development in new therapies uh, to, try to try to really innovate and treat this disease. Well, there's hope about new drugs in development, including the, the exon-skipping drugs. Patients have largely relied on steroids. What do steroids do for Duchenne patients? Well, steroids have a lot of benefits. I think uh, in, in the younger patients, uh, they really slow the loss of muscle strength and increase the muscle strength, so patients are able to walk longer. Uh, this has a lot of benefits uh, as you know, patients in, through high school and attending college. Um, and even then, uh, when they eventually do lose uh, the ability to uh, to walk, uh, they are then able to, you know, uh, still maintain, still feed themselves because the upper 
uh, extremities. Uh, they can be able to you know, have their muscle strength still. They can they, uh, utilize the, the, the joy paddles on the wheelchair and move that around. Uh, there's pulmonary benefits that still breathe and uh, that helps them. You know, their rates have pulmonary benefits as well. And also it delays cardiomyopathy, some of the cardiac events that uh, uh, kill the child. Um, there's benefits of delaying that for a few years. So steroids have a, a multiple benefits and uh, delaying scoliosis, some of the curvature of the spine. Uh, steroids have been reported to do that as well. And so we're looking at uh, a lot of benefits of the steroids uh, for doing that. Uh, there's also side effects. And... Uh, so we man, you know, we're trying to manage the side effects through uh, dosing regimens and uh, alternate dosing, alternate days or high dose weekends. So we're trying to look at some of the ways we can side effects as well. Well, I, I think most patients would, would find the, the benefits outweigh the risk of the side effects. But what are the side effects of using steroids? So the side effects are sort of well known after you know they've been used for. Uh, several years now, and so the typically uh, the metabolic side effects, uh, you can always tell when the child is on steroids, they have that moon face, uh, there's the weight gain, uh, the cushionoid features, uh, the hair on the face, uh, typically. There's also behavioral side effects, the child could get more aggressive, uh, they could uh, uh, develop cataract formation, is uh, fairly typical. Um, those are some of the hallmark features that we look for, and um, and we've seen those in our clinical trials reported as well. You're preparing to submit your drug, the Flazacort, to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for approval. This is your lead experimental therapy. What is the Flazacort? Yes, so uh, we are NDAs going in this month. So we've met with the FDA. We've had our pre-NDA meeting. Uh, we have agreements and all the information that needs to be submitted, and so our submission date uh, is May 31st, and we're on track and we're actively working towards that submission date. Like prednisone, the flazacort is a corticoid steroid. Does it do what prednisone does, or is there reason to believe it's more effective? Yeah, it's it's very similar, and uh, you know, in our pivotal uh, trial, uh, prednisone was included as an active control. And uh, so the first 12 weeks of our pivotal trial, there was a placebo arm, and both the Vlazcord and prednisone were compared to the placebo. Uh, muscle strength was the primary endpoint, and, and as expected, uh, both prednisone and the Vlazcord, there was two doses of the Vlazcord of 0.9 milligram per kilogram a day and a 1.2 milligram per kilogram a day, and the uh, prednisone dose of uh, 0.75 milligram per kilogram a day, both uh, uh, improved muscle strength, and, and as expected, placebo did not. And then, uh, interestingly enough, then the study continued for a year, and the flazacort was compared to prednisone, which was uh, widely available in the U.S. The flazacort uh, was not. And um, so the, the placebo patients were crossed over to an active uh, glucocorticoid, either the flazacort or prednisone, and from week 12 to week 52, uh, the uh, uh, comparison was made uh, looking at the flazacort uh, to prednisone, and it was pre-specified analysis. And the lower dose of the flazacort, the 0.9 milligram per kilogram a day, uh, uh, 
that way they continue to improve in muscle strength, whereas about week 36, the prednisone patient started to fall off. So by week 52, um, that arm, the, the 0.9 milligram arm of the flazacort was statistically superior to prednisone. And, uh, and so we have that information going to the FDA. There was a recent uh, observational study published by the Synergy Group, uh, a large study looking at uh, time to loss of ambulation, and they also reported a difference in uh, prednisone and deflazacort, where the deflazacort patients uh, were uh, um, walked longer than the patients on prednisone. So there appears to be some differences in Duchenne patients uh, between prednisone and deflazacort. There are side effects to using deflazacort, like any steroid. How do they compare to what's been seen with prednisone? So we, uh, again, we all see this, uh, the trial collected adverse effects, and uh, it was widely be reported in the literature. One of the benefits of deflazacort was on weight gain. So deflazacort has been reported to cause less uh, weight gain. And so we did look at that. That was one of the endpoints of the trial. And by week 52, uh, there was a highly statistically significant difference in weight gain with the flazocort causing less weight gain uh, than prednisone. Uh, and as we looked at the other side effects, uh, we did see a dose uh, response difference with the higher dose of the flazocort causing more side effects than the lower dose. And then when we looked at against prednisone, uh, for most adverse events, the prednisone arm was associated with a higher rate of adverse effects uh, than the plazacort. Uh, there were some exceptions, uh, most notably cataract. Uh, the plazacort's always been associated with a higher rate of cataract formation uh, than prednisone, and we did see that in this trial as well. How did Marathon get involved with the drug? What, what attracted you to it as a potential treatment for Duchenne? Well, when we, you know, we, when we got into the movement disorder space, we, uh, we started talking to some of the key opinion leaders and we noted, you know, the, the trial had never been published. It had been uh, conducted a number of years ago. Uh, and we saw like a, a brief description of a, of an abstract, but the study was never published. And so, uh, we talked to Birch Griggs over at the University of Rochester. And he said, yeah, they, you know, I think data exists uh, at uh, um, St. Louis and uh, Barnes Jewish University, uh, or Barnes Jewish Hospital, University of Washington University. There's a database. Uh, so we went over there, and there was a database of all the data, but the, the source data was uh, not there. And so we tracked down about maybe 40% of the source data of the original nine study sites. And we took it to FDA and uh, they said, this is very interesting. And uh, uh, can you go find another placebo controlled study? Because the FDA likes, you know, replicate studies. And there was, uh, so we looked and there was two placebo controlled studies published, one in Argentina, one in Italy. And uh, Dr. Mesa in Argentina did not have its source data, but Dr. Angelini in Italy did. And so we got licenses data. And, and uh, so the, um, so those Dr. Angelini study and then this, uh, this Dr. Brooks study uh, that we found, and we tracked down all the data and subsequently we found all the lab data and all that. Um, so that, that 
form the basis of our NDA. Separate from your efforts to bring Teflazacort to market, you're working with patient advocacy, research, and commercial organizations to develop a precision medicine program in Duchenne. What is that initiative? Yes, yeah, so, so Duchenne is a genetic disease, and uh, so that opens the door to a lot of uh, personalized medicine. So you can, if we understand the, the patient's genome, we can really uh, go in there and figure out, you know, will the therapy work for this patient? Is this patient really predisposed to some of the, the side effects? And uh, we can figure out you know, and, uh, if a therapy is going to work or if the therapy is going to expose a patient to a particular side effect. And uh, so there's really not been an effort to collect all of this information in an, in an organized fashion, in a coordinated fashion. And, um, and so uh, the community is, you know, is very working very closely. There's a lot of parties involved. And uh, so working with all the groups such as PPMD and MDA and all of the companies working in this space, um, I think for the first time, there's an effort to put together everyone's expertise, leverage that, put together a consortium of interested parties to collect all of this material, to catalog it, to have all the information available to researchers, and then you know have this ability to sit down and look at all this material and then figure out you know, can we personalize for a DMD patient therapies um, and uh, figure out, will this work for them? Will this not work for them? Will this expose them to certain adverse events? And so, uh, you know, we want to be part of that. And, and so that's what uh, uh, that's all about. I imagine you've paid attention to the recent FDA reviews of the Duchenne drugs. We're still waiting for a final verdict on Sareptas, but as a company developing treatments in the space, what have you learned from that? Uh, so I think you know we've been in we've been in the rare disease space for for a long time. I think before before Marathon, we had a the, the company before this, the management team we had was Ovation, and we were in the rare uh, pediatric epilepsy space. And, and so I think what we learned is that you know the even if you're working in rare orphan diseases. Uh, that the, you know, the gold standard, you know, the FDA bar is now lowered. And, uh, you have to be, you have to bring the FDA evidence of efficacy and safety. And, uh, and we think we've done that with the Flazacord. And, uh, I think you have to do that for your patients. Uh, and I think you have to spend the time in phase two and you have to know what your drug. And, uh, so I think, you know, our, you know, so we've been doing it for a number of years, and uh, I think we're confident we've done that with our NDA. Uh, I think we've watched uh, what's going on in the community, and I think the FDA has a very tough decision with some of these other therapies. And so I think, like most everyone else, we're watching to see what they're going to do uh, with some of these promising therapies. And, and uh, uh, I think it was extraordinary watching the community come together, the outpouring of support from from the parents and the caregiver and the patients, and and really underscores the need for for therapy. Uh, highlights the importance of what you know, what we're doing and uh, the space that we're in. So. And where do you see treatment of Duchenne's moving from where we are today? Well, I think I think I still think the future is very important. 
to the to the Exxon and in the in the nonsense mutation uh drugs. And you know, they've had some setbacks, but uh you know, I think there's subpopulations and maybe with some dosing um to work through those issues. Uh there's myostatin inhibitors coming, there's gene replacement and cell replacement therapies coming. I think uh the promise of um, um, some of these uh, uh, stem cells there arise in our company. So I think there's a lot, and there's a lot of now uh, gene editing uh, therapies that are you know very early on in preclinical phase, uh, CRISPR technologies, things like that. But uh, uh, not only for DMD, but for cancer and oncology. But I think that holds a lot of promise and. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, uh, a lot of novel therapies coming uh, that will benefit this community and others. Tim Kniff, head of research and development for Marathon Pharmaceuticals. Tim, thanks so much for your time today. Great, thanks, Danny. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.